Welcome to the Aggressive Life. Today's Valentine's Day, a day invented by women that men participate in. <laughs> I don't know who invented Valentine's Day, but it had to be some female think tank that thought, how can we pump more money into the holiday, into this, into our country? I know. Let's have another holiday that people have to buy stuff for. And Valentine's Day is born. I'm not, I'm not anti-Valentine's Day. I actually, I actually like Valentine's. I, I like it. I like it a lot. I like it a lot. Whether you love it or hate it. There's something you and I can't avoid. That is the trajectory of your life will be determined, be determined by your relationships. Doesn't mean you have to get married. Though marriage is great. There's too few people who are pro-marriage and talking about how awesome marriage is. Most people are trying to put off marriage. They don't want a ball and chain, all kind of arguments about, I don't need a, a piece of paper or what marriage ceremony tell you that I love you. Everyone says these kind of things, or many people do. But man, marriage is a hypercharged form of Valentine's Day. It's also a hypercharged form of of civil war because you're at war with one another a lot. Today, I'm not really qualified to talk about this topic on myself. I have to have someone with me today. I have my Valentine. Would you be my Valentine? I would love to be your Valentine. <laughs> would you like to tell us who, you're, who you are? <laughs> my name's Libby Tome, married to Brian. For 34 years. 34 of the greatest years of your life. 34. <laughs> 34 ecstatic long, years. Long, hard <laughs> years. Yes, you know, it, 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 there have been a lot of difficulties because every relationship takes hard work. It takes sacrifice, and it's worth it. So we hope we help you today, whether you're dating somebody, whether you're not dating somebody, whether you're married to somebody. We're wanting you to have a great Valentine's Day. Last week on Instagram, I collected your relationship and marriage questions. And so Lib and I are going to walk through those. And we're going to do that with Dirt. Dirt, Dirt, you're the host today. Is that how we're going to do this? I think I'm the host today. I'm taking over the mic. All right. So I am putting down the notes and I'm here at the microphone with my hands groping my wife. (laughs) (laughs) If you're uncomfortable, do that in front of you. (laughs) I would like to do that, though. Can we do that? So we are just going to uh, respond to whatever you think questions are necessary. Sweet. I got a number of questions that are Brian and Libby specific. So we're going to start with those. Okay. So first question, whoever wants to take it, tell us how you met and then take turns. What's the first thing you appreciated about each other? Oh, wow. Do you want the long version or the short version? Oh, like the 60-second version. So this guy walks into church one morning and... The church was not big, so it was like, I don't know, 250 people. So you knew new faces. So this guy walks in. I was went in with my mom sitting catty corner behind you, and I saw the side of your head, and I thought, oh, wow. He had his hair looked like it had a little gray specks in it. So my assumption was, oh, this guy— He's established. He's he's probably made something of himself, and he's cute. And I don't know what came over me. I leaned on my mom, and I said, hey, look over there at that guy. She, so she looks. He goes, yeah, I'm like, I want to marry him. And I know you hear people, girls, women say that all the time, but I honestly, I don't even know why it came out of my mouth. I just, I didn't even think. And 
quickly went home and told my brother and like friends, I saw the guy I'm going to marry. And they're like, did you meet him? I'm like, no, I haven't met him. I just saw him. (laughs) (laughs) So what was it like a couple Sundays later, you happen to be up front at the pulpit and I'm putting it together in my head. Oh my gosh, this is the new youth guy. And I just filled out a form to volunteer for him. <laughs> so uh, my dad, who actually had been on staff. Meanwhile, I was on stage doing like the public prayer that day. First day on staff, looking out over the congregation, trying to see who's hot and who's not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I did notice you. I thought, hmm, I wonder what her story is. <laughs> so my dad introduced us and um, handed you up. And resume, <laughs> volunteer resume to be in the student ministry, and and I didn't have gray hair. I had just <laughs> well, I was in a hair show. <laughs> he was, got a free haircut. <laughs> You're in a hair show. Yes. So this lady put him in the hair show and frosted right. his hair. Like back then, ladies, it was called frosting. Right. And it was they'd pull your hair through this cap and they bleached it. Right. Yeah. So exactly. it looked white. It did really look kind of gray, but yeah. it was. So things progressed from there. But I think what's important to to state is you could hear that story as it was, and just assume, oh my goodness, uh, you so you guys met your soulmate. Libby just noticed immediately her soul was connected to you. And that's why you've been going for 34 years. Libby and I've had this discussion a lot. We are not soulmates. Not. I don't know. That seems kind of harsh. Okay. Well, I think our souls match. Well, when we got married, our souls melded before God. And we complement one another very, very well. We should get into that in a bit. But, but me, you know, our marriage has had a lot of difficulties. And there's things about you that drive me crazy and things about me that drive you crazy. And so people just assume that if you've met your soulmate, if you saw someone across the room and said, I'm going to marry that person, that it's been, you know, bliss ever after. And it's and oh, that's yeah, just not the case. It's been mm-hmm. very, very difficult. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. I agree with that then. So yeah. next question, something that drives you crazy. Brian, this is specifically for you. How many unnecessary pillows do you have on your bed? Right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I cut back. Every pillow that isn't the one that I sleep on or her is unnecessary. <laughs> and how many pillows is that, honey? It's five. It is not yeah, five. It's five. No, have, it's not five. I have three of the big ones and then two. I cut no. back. Yes, I did. You cut back from what? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Well, you, you did mention earlier things you appreciate. One yeah, of the things yeah. I appreciate about Liv, the very first date we had is she um, she cooked for me. And I noticed from right away that her she had a heart for service. Mm. Uh, I, I'd never been around somebody who wanted to serve other people mm. as, as much as she did that night. And as much as she's done for 34 years, it's, she, she's really, really remarkable for that. Um, I was just reading in my in my time with God in the morning, going through the book of Genesis, and Isaac needs a wife, and Abraham sends out his servant to find a wife for him, and he finds Rachel, and the reason it's Rachel is because he notices Rachel is willing to not only get him water at the well, but she says, do you want me to draw water for your camels as well, which have been 
would have been a lot, a lot of money. And he goes, that's the one. That's what will make a great wife. Great spouse is the person who's really up for serving you. And um, I think we do that pretty well. You do it way better than I do, but that's been amazingly for you. And this isn't a female thing. I'm, that's what I said. It's a spouse thing. I mean, men need to be great, great servants as well. I'm, I'm not at all implying that the secret of marriage is have a, have, have a wife that serves you. It's have a spouse that serves you and serve the marriage. Next question. How have you learned to balance ministry and marriage? I, I'll, I'll take a shot at that one. I think ministry ebbs and flows. I mean, there, there's certainly been more difficult times in our marriage when things were significantly going on in the church. And those times were hard, no doubt. And then there's times I feel like right now we're, with us, we're in a pretty sweet spot. Um, but balancing, balancing is a tough one. I think I had to come to the conclusion that for me, this for me, it's not a matter of, oh, we put God first, then our family, then our job. Not true in ministry. Ministry encompasses all of that. I think you have to come to a place where you're, you're really okay with that, that you're not feeling like, you know, the church trumps me. I, I did feel that. I'm not saying I didn't ever feel that. I mean, I felt that significantly. Well, you did feel that because it was true, because I've been at various times, but have been very unhealthy and I've had attitudes, behaviors, mindsets that have been very toxic to our marriage and to you. I mean, we've talked about this before that I've never had an adulterous affair, but I have. I've had a mistress. It's called Crossroads. That's, that's had my heart. I, I remember we did a talk once. I said I was the mistress and you were married to Crossroads. Wow. Yeah, right, and right, then, right. That's even better, right. You could cut this, but I remember some woman was like, she's a real bitch. Like that. She said that and I'm like, it's, it's true. Mm-hmm. It was true. I mean, I think. Yeah, um, it was true. You feel it's true right now? No, 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 no. When do you feel that that shifted for me? Well, I think once the church got off the ground, I mean, it was like a rocket ship launching, right? You had, you needed so much swell, so much energy, so much uh, fuel. And, Focus, everything. Uh, to launch. And then you're launched and you're in orbit. And it gets a little better, I think. And then once you're really on a trajectory of yeah. church is growing, it's doing great. You know, then, then I think that eased yeah. off on your, you know. I've not seen statistics on this, but anecdotally, it seems like uh, men and women get divorced disproportionately when they are in the midst of starting something and on the upswing. You know, it's in trying to get to the C-suite that you are monopolized your emotions, your time in life. And then once you get the C-suite, you know, things are, things are a bit more calm. Um, it's starting the business, starting the church. And then once it gets to a certain point, you know, you, you have uh, more time to metaphorically smell the roses. So, Right. I think, too, um, a big mistake in some marriages are people, I mean, because I remember thinking, I hate this. I went out. I don't like it. I'm done. I don't want to, I don't want to do this anymore. And I think people make 
some people make the mistake of really bailing then. And they don't get to experience the richness on the other side of hanging in there, you know, and just Mm -hmm. saying this is a season we'll get through and we'll be able to reconnect and it'll be better than ever. Right. So bouncing off of that, someone asked, when you're feeling disconnected, what are things you do to reconnect with each other? I think what we found as uh, holding keys to success with this is to find something to do with the other person. I think when we're not connecting, I don't think we have a great track record of, okay, let's sit down on the couch and let's talk about what we need to talk about and let's kind of reconnect. Those are important times, but I think when when we've really been far apart emotionally, I think it's been important to do something together physically. Take a walk, go camping, uh, you know, something something like that. So I think that's I think and maybe it's maybe that's just me um, because I I connect better when I'm doing something with somebody than simply having an emotional transaction. What do you think about that? I would agree with that. I don't think it all has to be all that or none. I no. think, yeah, right. like, I think some of our morning times where you Brian has this little room. He's always he's very faithful, and he's always in there in the mornings. And you wait for me to come down, but um, I always got to call you down because you never want to come <laughs> well, down. You can always come up too. That's but anyway. When we sit in that little room. Just before the day starts. Yeah, that's nice. That it's a great connection. But we didn't do that. We we didn't do that always. And I love that little rhythm we have going right now. But I agree with you about the doing stuff together. Um, probably the best thing we ever started too late, maybe, but was overlanding. Yes, we needed we needed a hobby like that, life giving hobby earlier. Yeah. And I think that's part of uh, the years of intense difficulty we had was I was out on a motorcycle with buddies and we weren't kind of building into each other. I thought that was a huge mess. I think it's really important to, to, for, for couples to know what their routine is. When you watch like a tennis match or you watch golf, all those athletes, they have a specific routine. The number of times I bounce the ball before I serve it, how many practice swings I take, what I do. All of them have the exact same routine because it, it kind of cues their body and their mind to this is what I'm going to do now. And I think when it comes into our marriage, if we can figure out certain routines, that's a huge win. Like family dinners is one for us. Like there's always going to be a family dinner. Not we, we eat separately and it just puts us in the mode, right? And you just mentioned one that has become a routine, especially on you know a couple mornings a week. Uh, Friday mornings and Saturday mornings, like we're going to sit in this little room and, and just talk and sip coffee. And so sometimes we pray (laughs) together, which is really a beautiful connection point, I think. Right. Awesome. Jump down to some questions about dating and engagement. So first one, I'm 24. I'm getting married in June. What's your best newlywed advice? You know, it's funny because we were just away. We were out of town and there was a newlywed couple there. Or they were engaged. They were engaged. And they asked me, what's your best marriage advice? And I didn't even think about it when I told them. You don't have to die on every hill. And sometimes the hills you really want to die on, you have to just let go. (laughs) 
and the more I, I didn't explain it, I guess, good. Like I didn't give examples of what is a hill, like what are you talking about? But it's true, right? I mean, I, I think we can go into marriage thinking it's all going to be great the way I see it, the way I picture it going. And it's not. It's just not. And then we tend to die on a hill that our spouse did or said and we can't let it go. We just want to. Yeah. Well, especially when you're first married because you have all these idealistic notions right. and you just don't know how life works. And then if you come from a religious or spiritual background like I do, you're kind of trained in black and white, what's good, what's bad, what's right, what's wrong. And you can just become this little policeman where you're just trying to look for things and, and you see something that isn't the way you would prefer it. It's something that maybe annoys you, but isn't something that's important to God, but yet you feel it's important, so you got to speak into it. And the longer we're married, the the less I'm wanting to speak into something. It's like, because those things create conflict and they create fights. And having been with you longer now, I know I know better. I still do it. <laughs> As you know, I still do it. But I can recognize if I say this, that's going to lead to that, and it's going to be a crappy next couple hours. I don't need to say this. And it makes hmm. a lot more harmony. Totally. Yeah, I agree with that. Another question. How long should I date before I pop the question? If you know, you know. Don't wait. A year. I think a year dating is really, really good idea. You get to see the person in every holiday, in every environment. I think a year is good. And then I think if you don't know a year or you're not going to commit in a year, A, just be honest with yourself that you're not into marriage and so don't even have that as an idea. Or two, be honest with her or him and say, no, I'm done with you. Because if I'm, you're not into him after a year, just just move on. And then once you once you get engaged, I'm really big on short engagements, like really short. Like a month, three months? Uh, if you could do it in a month, that'd be great. <laughs> but it generally takes more time. Yeah, that. right. I mean, having like a two-year engagement, I mean, come on. You're just, you're just two things, two-year engagement. Okay, so I'm a believer. I believe in the Bible. When I meet a believer who's got a two-year engagement, I'm like, okay, A, you have zero sex drive, so you should probably not get married. Or B, you're living a lie. You're just having sex left and right right now, so why should you get married? So you're right now, you're just you're, you're, you're operating in a worldview that's disparate from the scriptures that I've given my life to, and that actually works. So if you're a believer— I believe you're going to have to have a short, short engagement just to, just to, just to deal with your horniness, you know. But I also think that um, it doesn't matter how long necessarily your engagement is, and I get all the temptation and all that. You just don't really know till you are twenty four seven with a person living under the same roof. Well, that's true. It's not even 24-7 on the same roof because people say regularly who've been living with somebody, once they get married, still things change. Right. Well, it's yeah. the weight and the pressure of the finality of it. It's then things you're willing to live with before you don't live with again. It's just you're never going to be fully ready or never going to be fully prepared. But it's amazing. It's great. I'm telling you, there's two people here who just tell you marriage is amazing. It's worth all the hardship, all the difficulty. You have somebody who is a teammate of yours who won't leave you the way all of your other friends will leave you for the same stuff. I'm not saying your marriage is going to last forever and ever and ever, but I'm saying you are, you are going to have a relationship that's going to stay with you, be more faithful than probably anybody else you've known. It's wonderful. 
Okay, here's one. When is the right time for me to move in with my girlfriend? I, I love the question because it shows we've got a bunch of different uh, worldviews and perspectives who listen to the Aggressive Life. So, hey, thanks for being part of the Aggressive Life fam. Really, really good. I just want to aggressively maybe give you a little push, this this uh, this question. Everything is seems to be inverted today versus the way it used to be. There's a lot of things the way it used to be are actually good things. Uh, things that you might have seen in the Bible, like date, get married, move in with one another, have a kid. It's like opposite now. More and more people are like having a kid <laughs> and then I'll move in and then maybe we'll get married later on. And so I, I, I just want to be one voice that would have you take a look at the data and research that says that if you do want to get married in terms of the data, it would suggest that you're going to have a harder time staying married if you actually move in with that person. There's a lot of theories as to why it is. Um, so I would say the right time to move in is when you're married. And you should be asking yourself instead, does the person who I'm dating, are they committed to me? And is that the path that they're on? And if neither of you are on that same path, if neither of you are on that same path, then okay, great. Then all bets are off. Um, you should kind of follow the path that both of you want to follow. But I um, just want to give you one voice of going after a more sacred pathway, a more ancient pathway that's established by God and is incredibly fruitful. Today's podcast is brought to you by Athletic Greens. It's a product I use every day. I started taking AG1 because I don't watch my diet too closely, but I know that I'm getting all the vitamins, minerals, and nutrients I can, as well as hydrating with 12 ounces of water right off the bat at the beginning of the day. One scoop of AG1, it's got 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens, and it doesn't taste like it. It actually tastes great. AG1 is a micro habit with big benefits. For less than $3 a day, you can take care of your health and invest in your future. It's recommended by professional athletes, health experts, and me. <laughs> to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packets with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash aggressive life. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash aggressive life to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutrition insurance. So go get you some and let's get back to the show. So we got the most questions were about kids. We're gonna, we're gonna, it's Valentine's Day, Dirt. <laughs> well, the heck, this is parenting day. This it's is Valentine's actually day. gonna be. No one's asking us about like Valentine's related or anything like that. Well, maybe we'll get to that in a second. Oh, we don't want to go there. But this kid's question is, and this is the question we we got the most. How do you make time for each other? How do you reconnect when you're feeling super drained from having kids? Two kids, three kids, four kids, five kids, whatever. When you're like in the midst of the deep end of parenting, what do you do to try to keep your marriage going? Gosh, I feel like it's been so long. It's like birthing a baby and you just forget the yeah. pain. It's hard. Kids are hard. But And they're great. And they're great. I, I think I'm it has been a while, but I think about what our kids tell us 
our youngest kid right now, we have three kids, our youngest kid's 24? Something? 23. Okay, whatever. I, uh, I think about what they regularly tell us is they remember us saying very clearly to them, uh, hey, um, your mom is in first place. You are way, 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 way distant. She is way more important than you. And, and, and I love you and I love her more and I'm always going to be more committed to her than you. Let me clarify that though. The premise of that is we knew as young parents, if we weren't connecting, if we weren't good, that was no help to our kids. So we never put our kids above us. I mean, of course, there's needs. Your kids have needs. They get sick. You know, you of course. But as far as that emotional piece, I think we were able to say we need to make us good because that's going to trickle down to our kids. Right. The marriage has to be first. And what that meant for us was there were certain things, extracurricular activities, that our kids maybe wanted to do or would have excelled at. And we said, no, we're not going to do that. Why? Because we don't want to. Because we're tired and can't do another oh, evening you, out. You worked weekends. I didn't have you on weekends. And that was just yeah, so I'm reality. Saying, I'm saying that where, where many people say, hey, whatever the kid wants, I'm going to do it. Oh, right, I'm right. here to give the kid their perfect life, their perfect dream childhood. And so the marriage ends up twirling all around the kids. And they wear themselves out and then... The marriage just goes south, and eventually the kids don't get served well because the parents are at odds with one another or maybe, unfortunately, are uh, divorced. That's why I'm saying that when it comes to your kids, just be really clear. The best thing you do for your kids is give them a great marriage, and that means the other person that you're married to has got to be the priority, not your child. Yeah, so what does that look like on your calendar, like then and now? Did you have a specific rhythms that you kept – well, some rhythms would be family dinners, always right. a way for us to connect and, and, and spend time with one another. We also were much more regimented on a date night before we before the kids left the house. It used to be Thursday nights because Thursday would be my like my Friday, like most people's Friday night. But then since the kids vault up the house, that's kind of gone. It's like every night's a date night. <laughs> Whatever we want. Sounds amazing. It's wonderful. It's great. What do you want to do tonight? I don't care. Let's walk around naked. Yeah, let's do that. It's great. It's fun. Well, I have to tell you though, a problem with uh we would always we'd always figure something out like that, right? Oh I'm gonna we never really followed through all the time. Yeah, we were not religiously faithful to Thursday night date nights. We, we right. would, we I would mean, fall we, on them. Yes. Yeah. And you know, sometimes on Monday it opened up. Yeah, like it wasn't like we right. had anything locked in all the time, but yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's a good thing. Uh, I talked about routines. Hear me really clearly. We broke a lot of routines, broke a lot of rules that we set for ourselves. I mean, if you're looking for a marriage that has a buttoned-up schedule and the trains run on time, and turn, then that, that, that's not us. But we've got just enough to keep us structured and go in the right direction. That's true. We're going to jump down to marriage-specific questions. So one of them is, how do I stop keeping score? I'm finding it a difficult trap to stay out of. You want to go first on this one? Me too. Well, I, I'll, I'll just say, because I'll probably have a little bit less to say than you, <laughs> always. Um, I think you can't do that. You cannot keep score. Keep score, disaster, disaster. Um, you just have to go 100%. 
You have to do everything 100%. There's no 50-50. There's no 70-30. It's, it's 100%. Do you want to expound? No, I, yeah, I like it. Great. I, I, the question sounds to me like it's coming from a person with the right heart because people who keep score don't ask questions like that. So I think that person's heart's in the in the right place, and uh, you just got to give every day and just and just serve and trust that that person in the marriage will be better to a point where they're going to serve you as well. Um, so, okay, how do you keep your sex life active and healthy after a decade plus of marriage? Testosterone. <laughs> 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 and it's getting a little too much. <laughs> that is true. That is true. Did you not want to tell people? No, no I have not told people. I'm, I'm fine to tell people. So, Oops. Yeah, that's all right. Um, yeah, it's really funny. I, I, went to this, uh, I went to this pastor's event a year or so ago, and what I learned is all these pastors, half of them are on testosterone. I was like, what are you talking about? It's just like, it's weird. But then I realized I, I've had, I've really had no sexual desire for a long, long time. Um, pretty much none, which was actually in many ways freeing. Cause when you, when you are enslaved to sexual desire and it's on your mind all the time, it is, it's awful. It's just a prison. It's, it's, yeah. So a lot of that was kind of good. Whew, all right, good. I'm not a one-track mind male any longer. But then that also had some ramifications on the on the marriage and the intimacy with the marriage and all that stuff. So I, re- I recognized that that was a problem. So we, you know, we still had to work at it. Um, it didn't work at it hard enough. There was definitely some issues there. And I said, "That's why. Let's try this testosterone." All these guys are talking about it. Yada yada. I'm talking, you know, doctor, this and that. So went on it and. Well, you also recognized through a doctor that your T level was low. Right. So. Right. Right. We're not talking about anabolic, anabolic steroids to get 21-inch biceps. You know, we're talking about hopefully making you come back to how you felt when you were 40 or 35 or something like that. So, yeah, we've been doing, I've been doing it for, what, a year now maybe? Mm-hmm. And 10, 10 months or so, something like that. And, uh, yeah, I think uh, I think you— Maybe like me more when I didn't have any sexual desire. <laughs> I, was, I was just like, where was that in my forties? Now I'm sixty, but um, yeah, yeah, it's been good. I think yeah. it's, I think back to the question. I think you just got to keep working on it as a couple. Keep talking about: it. is this enough sex for you? Is it not enough sex for you? Sex for you? What's what works for you? What doesn't work for you? You get into habits and patterns in terms of how you how you have sex. Um, when we, we got in a habit and pattern, you know, on like year two, like positions and what you do, what you don't do. And you're just getting ruts and you just got to keep trying to stay fresh and keep working on it, make it a moment of connection and, um, and try to make it about the other person and not so much about you. That's great. There's probably a lot to unpack here, but here we go. What's your best advice for a woman who is the spiritual leader of the marriage but wants her husband to be? Pray. I mean, it happened in the fall, right? Um, the Lord said the woman will try to rule. I, I think women are so— Men will dominate women, and women will try to rule over men is, a, is a, something that happened something, in the fall. Okay, it's, right. it's one thing that happens with male-female relationships. Yeah. Right. But I think a woman who sincerely wants her husband to lead and maybe is just really passive, her best weapon is to pray. 
I, I that's my that's what I believe. Um, nagging or you know belittling them, like what do you what do you stand like? Not helpful. Why don't you leave some Bible study? How come not leaving the family Bible study? <laughs> that never happened with us. I'll no, tell you. when it did, it happened twice, and both times everyone cried, and it was horrible. <laughs> so I'm I'm pretty. I tell people like, I'm pretty good at Bible stuff. I'm pretty good, and I sucked at it. And so, if being a spiritual leader of the home means that you like lead a Bible study with your family, then I'm a, I obviously wasn't a spiritual leader of my home because I, I never did that. I, I I know that there's a lot of men who struggle. There's a lot of men who feel like they're in the shadow of their wife, especially if the wife is a stay-at-home mother. Well, she's got she's just in Bible studies all day, doing stuff all week. She's getting all the stimuli, and he's. You know, he's he's laying bricks every day or he's whatever he's doing in his cubicle. It's 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 tough. And and then sometimes the woman feels like, well, he's not keeping up. He's not keeping up. No, because you're in a little religious world that he can't aspire to and nor should he. So I think there's some unrealistic, unhealthy expectations there. And I, I I've been telling women as they come up and with this as a common gripe. And one of the reasons it might be common gripe is because there's a lot of men that are hurting and are lost and are worn out and aren't being spiritually filled themselves and therefore don't know how to spiritually fill somebody else. But I, I tell women, hey, is your, do, is your husband a believer? Uh, yes. Does he support your faith? Uh, yes. Well, will he, will he like go to church? Uh, yes. Okay. You're like in the top 1%. <laughs> you, you, you hit the lotto. I know you wish he did more. But he's doing really, really well. He'd probably respond better to if you encouraged him for what he's doing right instead of holding out hope that he would do more what you would like him to do if you were a man. Thoughts on that, my love? Well, I still say your best weapon is prayer. I mean, Uh, prayer, 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 blah, 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 blah. If it's really, you you can't make a blind man see unless you have a miracle and that miracle stems from the Lord. And so if that's something really bothering you on your heart, take it to God. Take it to God and let—I know that sounds so christian easy and like kind of a, you know, an easy answer, but prayer is your best weapon. Yeah. Even yeah. when it's your kids, when it's your kids have fallen away, you know, and we just talked about this with a friend this morning. We, we, we just have to get serious about our prayer life and praying for— our spouse. Well, we also have to serve them too. I I don't know that we serve the other person as much as we think we do. If we serve them, uh, we might start to win them over. You know, sometimes that's an issue. What else you got here, Dirk? How important is it for a couple to do vision planning for the future? Should I have a five-year plan? Do I need a family mission statement? Is all that stuff important or no? <laughs> Not five years. Heck. Uh, World can end. (laughs) Well, I've got some friends that are really good at this. Uh, Steve and Michelle Smith, they do a family planning thing. When I say family planning, you like mean like the rhythm method of birth control? Like no, no, no. It's it's we kind of <laughs> we kind of look out at what we're going to do for the year, and, uh, and that, it's actually a fascinating process. It's really good. We don't we don't we we don't we don't plan anything. In fact, we bother, don't, bothers our kids. We don't plan. Yeah, we're both we both fly by the seat of our pants, and that's not healthy either. But um, when I think maybe when the year starts, we'll we'll be like, what are your what are the big trips? When, when are you gonna be out of town? <laughs> you know, like what are the absolutes? But we don't plan. Yeah. For 
we have a t- we have a motto. We didn't have like a vision statement for the whole family. We had a motto that still gets talked about today. At one point, we talked about all getting it tattooed on us, but it didn't happen. The motto was Tomes Hustle. We don't sit around and wait around. We hustle. So we want to do our best in school that we can. We want to we want we want to serve God. We want to serve other people. Chop chop. We hustle. That that that's what Tomes do. And uh, if you have a motto like that, that actually is inspiring and guides behavior, it can really bless your family. And we found that that one has actually blessed our family. It really has. I think it started back when the kids were little and trying to get them out the door to be on time for school. And I'd be like, get your shoes on. And they dilly-dally, right? And you're like, I said, you know. So then it it was like, this is not an option. You know, Tomes Hustle, we're we're getting it done. We're getting in that car in five minutes, you know. So that's kind of where it originated but it, I think it really has helped our kids. They're hard workers. They are. They they go after something and they're they're serious, mm-hmm. and uh, they're getting it done. So, as a innocent little get your shoes on trick, it's been brilliant for. Yeah, our- and you got to have something that fits your family. I and mean, that might not be the right motto for you. It could be something else, but something that is true to who you are as a couple, and you want to instill in the culture of your family would be really helpful. I keep having regular conflict with my spouse. What's your best advice for conflict resolution or how to work through that? You're better at the counseling side. <laughs> <laughs> what, what do you well, mean? I avoid conflict. <laughs> <laughs> you, you think you avoid conflict? Well, in life in general. Maybe not with you. Yeah, you don't avoid conflict with me. <laughs> I would love for you to avoid some conflict with me. That, that would be wonderful. You do not avoid conflict with me. Why don't we even really conflicted? It's on often. No, that's right. It's often. So the question is, what do we do when we are in conflict? Yeah. How do you resolve conflict in your marriage? As soon as one person can roll over, the better. For much of the time, I waited for Lib to roll over, and then it would, you know. Like a lot of the time. A lot of time, yeah. I said most. So definitely way more than 50%. A lot. Yeah, Absolutely. And uh, then you start realizing, no, man, I can, I can roll over. And then when you roll over, then the other person is more open and maybe even understanding some other things. Uh, it, it's really nice. I mean, just just don't die on every hill. Just roll over more easily. That's what we found. Here's another one. The Bible says, do not let the sun go down in your anger. Our worst fights have always been at night. Would you agree with that? Yes. Yeah, they're the worst. And then that Bible verse comes across you and you go, okay, we've got to resolve this tonight. I got to resolve this time. We got to get it. And it never gets better. Never, never gets better. Until I realized, you know, don't let the sun go down your anger. The sun's already down. <laughs> so we're just going to assume this verse means the next time the sun goes down. So tomorrow, the sun's already down. And so we found most of our fights, we just got to go to bed mad. And we get up in the morning, or at least by the afternoon, we'll be able to have a, a reasonable conversation about it. But when you're really angry, just just try to back away. Put it down and back away and try to have as little communication as possible during that time. Yeah, I think, I think it is healthy to process, especially you process so fast. I was nervous coming on this podcast because I, I, don't, I don't process questions. I, I have to sit in it sit in it for a little bit and because I know when we have conflict if we're if 
if I'm yelling or screaming or being irrational, you already tuned me out. There's not going to be any kind of resolution I need to process and I need to know because you you have a specific way to be approached. I know that after 34 years. You can't go in the front door all the time. You might have to go around the back door to make sure that you're listening to me. And so I have to be rational and calm. And for me, that takes process time. By the way, you're doing great on this podcast. You, you keep are doing saying, great, Libby. Isn't she, though? You're doing fantastic. Come on, let's give her a little encouragement. We're going to have you back. Here, huh? Yeah. <laughs> okay, Libby, this one's specifically for you. We know Brian is a big nickname giver. Has he given you one or many? Have they changed <laughs> over the years? What kind of nicknames has he given you? Oh, my goodness. Yes, he has. Like, the first one, terrible. Call me Little P. Do you remember that? Yeah. Little Peanut. Or little Peanut Cheeks. I am not. <laughs> oh, my cheeks. <laughs> I, no, I... I vetoed that one pretty quick. Um, I still called that for a while. That was a good one. Dumb, yeah, right. this stupid one. It was a cute name. All right. Well, the other two aren't really any better. So then he then he started calling me little girl. She's my little girl. It's my little girl, and I'm like, I think that's kind of creepy. And we had a friend. We had a friend over once asked that same question, Dirt, and she goes, Oh. Like he's over in a white van luring you over with a piece of candy. I know, I'm a grown woman. Um, to the one that kind of but we know you know why I call you that because you do have this little little girl wonderment that comes over you that's so innocent and beautiful. Like when we were, you know, we, whenever you see critters, any kind of critter, whatever it is, like. Oh, you just come alive, and you're like a the innocence of a little girl. So that's why I call her a little girl. Yeah. No. Well, we can't explain that. To and, a bunch cu- of people. and cute girl. Yeah. That's a, you don't have nicknames to explain to anybody, <laughs> unless your name is Dirt, and you're obviously just dirty. <laughs> that doesn't take then, a lot of yeah, explanation. That's fun. Is it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. Two more, real quick. One. How has being married to each other changed you specifically? I'm definitely more others focused than I have ever been or more others focused than I would be had I been married to anybody else. And I'm not even saying that I'm anybody's hero for being others focused, but you know, there's no question that any sense of empathy that I have, um, that comes from her. I remember when we first married, he would just have these empathic, feelings about people or no that person will feel this way or don't that person I never heard that before in my life not from my parents not from my friends of how somebody else might feel nobody ever clued me into that and uh, so she's helped me greatly with that you've it's pretty funny because on the opposite you've helped me not be such that people pleasing do everything so everybody is happy and you know, like if we got an invitation somewhere, I'd be like, well, I can't come because this or that and the other thing. And you're like, just tell him you can't come. Like, you don't have to explain. Like, there is like a freedom you gave me to not compromise my own self or feelings yeah. at the expense of somebody else. I think that's one of the reasons I'm so pro-marriage. You you get that in a marriage when I don't think you get that in other out of the other forms of relationship, we've definitely helped each other out and rounded each other out. And I wouldn't 
be as be the person I am without being married to you. I'm thankful for you, sweetie. Love you. Mm, I love you too. Right, here's your chance for your last word. So, what is the most important lesson you've learned being married for 34 years that you can pass on to us? Most important. Lesson. I don't know if this is the most important, yeah. but um, I would definitely say hanging in there, sticking it out, keep going, don't give up. I'll stay with that. I think faithfulness, if we had this podcast 30 years ago, 20 years ago, I think we would have. I don't know, focused on any number of tactical or practical thing that you could do to make your relationship better. I think where I am now is to say your relationship will be better if you're just faithful. Just fit. Just just hang in there. Most of the problems that you're encountering are going to take care of themselves and they're going to go away if you'll be faithful. But very few people value sticking around even when it's difficult to taste the blessing of the fruit of law of a long-term relationship because it is wonderful when you get there awesome well i got the mic so i guess i get to do this libby thank you for coming in brian thank you for sharing your stories we'll see you next time on the aggressive life hey thanks for listening for all things aggressive living why don't you head over to bryantome.com, find my new book, Move, a guide to get up and go forward, as well as articles and much, much more. And no matter where you listen to podcasts, why don't you take a second and leave us a rating, leave us a review. It really, really helps us drive new listeners to the show. We want to help as many people as possible, just like we may have helped you. We want to help others. So why don't you help us out? And if you want to connect, find me on Instagram, at Brian Tome. Aggressive Life with Brian Tome is a production of Crossroads Church, Cincinnati, Ohio.